All right, well, make sure you got your cell phone off or on silent because I do anticipate we'll probably have some more emergency alerts that come over. And we go through this every single season. Um, probably it's going to be a tropical depression by the time it gets up here, which is still a pretty heavy storm. And we just want to reiterate from the fellowship before we start tonight's sermon that the church doesn't tell people what to do. So when it comes to your own personal safety, when it comes to your home, evacuate, not to evacuate, not this storm, but other storms that may come, uh, the church is going to remain open as long as we don't have a government-mandated evacuation. So if you're asking in the future if there's a big storm, are we going to have church or not, the answer is most likely going to be yes. The only difference is going to be the smaller Bible studies. You're going to want to make sure when you get some real nasty weather coming that you get with the Bible study leaders. For example, tomorrow the prayer meeting is going to be canceled. They're going to cancel that because of the storm coming in. But the midweek and the Sunday morning sermons, unless the government has ordered a mandatory evacuation, we're always going to be open. Now, we want you to be safe. You need to do whatever's best for you. And if you um, feel that you need to stay home because you're not very comfortable driving in the rain, then praise God. That's what the online services are for. We don't want anyone to feel a particular peer pressure on stay or go or be here or not. And we just want to make that really clear as we're going through the storm season. That being said, tonight when we're um, Lord willing in intercessory prayer, we want to be lifting up Florida. They are getting it really bad. Those of us that remember Matthew, we didn't get a direct hit, and that was a three. They're getting it four, and it's right on top of them and barely moving. So definitely keep them in your prayers. With that, let's open our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 30. We've got four chapters left before we go into the next book. Going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And we're going to continue where we left off after we ask the Lord to lead us through his spirit this evening through prayer. Father, as we continue in these chapters and we're speaking about the nation of Israel before they cross over to the Jordan, we know that you're also speaking and teaching us, Lord. And we pray that you would connect us for that time, that you would teach us about your people, Israel, and about us, your children through Christ. We pray that you would teach us and direct us this evening as you see fit in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's read verses 1 through 5. Now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice, according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart, with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you and from there he will bring you. Verse 5, Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And we're picking back up, if you remember a few weeks ago, from the Palestinian covenant or what's now known as the land covenant. These unconditional promises from God to the nation of Israel. As you look at these verses, you're going to see that there are no ifs. He is saying this is what's going to happen. 
And these things did happen, and I believe they're going to be in their perfect fulfillment after the tribulation because we see that we haven't perfectly seen these things come to pass. We're going to talk about that more as we go. But there are seven promises here in this section to the nation of Israel, no ifs in a single one of them. And it says here, when all these things come upon you, when all these things come upon you. Now, remember, we had the blessings and the cursings. If you choose this, you'll get that. If you choose that, you'll get this. And then we have these promises from God that he was never going to leave them nor forsake them, that he was going to still be with them no matter what they did. And it says here in verse 1, Now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you. So God, through prophecy, gives what I call history in advance. He tells them exactly what's going to happen ahead of time, which means that he already knew that they were going to fall. He already knew they were going to be scattered. He already knew that they were going to make bad choices. He already knew that the blessings and cursings that already happened or that were already given were going to come to pass. And he already knows what we're going to do. He already knows when we're going to fall and when we're going to sin and when we're going to do well and when we're going to honor him. And yet still he loves us. And yet still he tells us that all things work together for the good for those that love him. And as I look around, I know many of us, we've been beat up mostly by our own poor choices. But some of us just life things have happened that have been very difficult. And it is so important to me as I see the Lord leading the nation of Israel that would constantly rebel and backslide and repent, rebel and backslide and repent, and he never leaves them nor forsakes them. What does he say twice? He will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you. He will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you. I I misspoke. He says that once in the text, but he did it twice historically. After they were taken into captivity for 70 years, he brought them back into the land and he restored them. Then in 70 AD, Titus Vespasian with a V comes, destroys the temple again. You have what's called the diaspora, a fancy word for they were scattered all throughout the world, scattered unto heaven, just like the text says. And a second time, in May 8, 1948, a new nation was established in Israel. Miraculous. And yet all these things are foretold centuries ago on this side of the Jordan, not even entering into the promised land. God said they were going to happen. Now, let's go, a little, uh, let's go a little deeper into the prophecy here because we are, we are told that all these prophecies were written after the fact. Many critics will say, for example, that the book of Daniel couldn't possibly have been written before they happened. They're just too historically accurate, even though that has been proven true through the manuscript evidence that's been found that the book of Daniel has, never, has not been corrupted and is historically accurate. They'll say that the prophecies of Israel becoming a nation, that must have been after they became a nation in 1948 once again that Christians started latching onto that. That's incorrect. Adam Clark in 1811 wrote that the nation of Israel had to come back into existence for the next phase of Bible prophecy. And A.H. Uh, Ironside, very famous for his commentary on the book of Revelation, 
was writing in the 1930s when anti-Semitism was at its height, its extreme, that the nation of Israel had to be brought back into the land some way, somehow, for the Bible prophecy calendar to pick back up. So here we have centuries and decades and years before it takes place, people reading their Bibles, looking at their Bibles and saying, well, these are the promises of God. All the promises of God are yes and amen. This is what's going to happen. And we see the very same things today here in Deuteronomy chapter 30 with these promises. And then we can, using another fancy word, extrapolate from that. If God is going to maintain his promises with Israel, regardless of their rebellion or their revival, what does that mean for you and I that are sealed with the Holy Spirit, that are cleansed by his blood, that are called righteous by his name, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. It's an encouragement to know that just as God said to the nation of Israel here, that he will bring them back from captivity and have compassion on them, that we can look at these promises that were yet future and see them fulfilled in our past, not once, but twice, and know that it's going to happen a third time at the end of the tribulation when the Lord Jesus comes back on Jerusalem, sets foot, and establishes his reign for a thousand years. I can say that with certainty, the same way that Ironside could say that Israel was going to become a nation again, the same way that Adam Clark did, the same way that Moses could repeat what God is telling him to share with the nation of Israel, that we're going to be scattered, our people, but we're going to be brought back. We can trust in the Lord. We can trust in his word. And we need to trust in his promises. Now let's read verse 6. Verse 6, just by itself. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. The issue is that this has not happened yet. The nation of Israel today is mostly living in rebellion to God. Now, the Messianic Jewish population, all that means is Jews that have been fulfilled, they've come to faith in the Messiah, is larger today in Israel than it has ever been. But the majority of Jews in Israel today, according to their own surveys, are atheists. The majority are atheists. Or, if they are devout believers, do not accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah. They're living in rebellion. Here, it says that God is going to give them a passion and a heart to serve him, to circumcise their hearts, the hearts of the descendants, that they're going to love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Um, strength is added in the New Testament by Jesus. That you may live, and we haven't seen those things. But that's spoken of in Romans chapter 11. That Israel is blinded today. They're not going to know until they see the Lord in general. Because remember, the Messianic Jewish population is bigger than it's ever been before today. A faithful remnant. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus talks about how Israel was not going to be able to see. And see in part. But the Bible also tells us in Romans chapter 11 that these things are going to take place when the Lord returns. See, the Lord is going to supernaturally preserve 144,000 Jews through the tribulation, this impossible time, where if it wasn't for God's mercy, if God didn't relent, every person on the planet would die. 
in his righteous wrath poured out on the planet. But, but through this time, the, the world has never seen, he is going to supernaturally preserve 144,000. He's even numbered what tribes they come from. And they're going to come through the tribulation, and then the Lord's going to return, and he's going to establish a new kingdom. And these things will be in their perfect fulfillment, finally, in the, with Jesus present. And we'll be there ruling and reigning with him in that thousand-year reign. How do I know that? Because Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 23. It's revealed to us in Revelation. It's shown to us in the book of Daniel. The promises to the nation of Israel seeking after the Lord in Jeremiah are promised of what's coming. But it is not in the present day. And that's why we said that earlier. I said it last week. It was a little dangerous of me. A little dangerous of me to say, we can't look at Israel today and just tell them, oh, whatever you do, you're God's chosen people. You can get away. No, they're in rebellion to the Lord. And there is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. But we also must know that they are God's chosen people and his faithfulness is proven through how he treats them and guides them. Now, we're going to talk about this a little bit more, but this verse, this verse is important for us. That we are to, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Because what we're going to see as we continue in this chapter is that the nation of Israel is going to have a choice. They're going to choose to live or they're going to choose to die. They're going to choose to be blessed by God or they're going to choose the punishment. They're going to choose with their actions what's going to happen. And God clearly lays it out. And he knows what's going to happen. Those are the promises. And yet he still tells us to choose. When you have a Calvinist and an Arminius, when you have somebody that says that God makes all the choices, we don't have any choice, or we make all the choices and then God just responds to our choices, we realize as we study the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, verse by verse, that you don't have to reconcile the two. They are both equally true. He tells us that he has predestined as many as will be saved. He knows who's going to be saved. They're already sealed. They're written in the book of life. He's not erasing the, the names and writing them back in and erasing them again. But the Arminius is right. God tells us to choose him, to make these decisions. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And that offer is truly given to the whole world. Because when the Lord tells us something in Scripture, we're going to believe him, just like these prophecies. But he also tells us that he has predestined those that will be saved. Just because he knows our choice doesn't mean that he hasn't given anyone a choice. Well, Mike, how do you know that? I don't. I have to trust the Lord for his word. The word tells us to make these choices, even though he knows what I'm going to choose. And I have to come by faith and I have to trust him. What was that last verse in the last chapter? The secret things are of the Lord. The deep things are of the Lord. We need to follow after him. I thought it was the last verse. Let's double check. Verse 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. 
<clears throat> I mention that because just as it is true of our salvation, the nation of Israel can choose, individuals in Israel can choose today to follow Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. They choose not to. The Lord tells us 144,000 will be sealed. He, he already tells us what he's going to do. Does that mean that he's not allowing them to choose Jesus Christ today? I said, no. No, they, we should be preaching the gospel and teaching. And I praise the Lord that there are several families of Jewish descent here that are realized Jews. That means they've come to faith in Jesus Christ and they are completed Jews. And if I call them anything else but that, I'm going to get a lecture. So, yes, they are completed Jews. And I praise God for it. Now, let's continue verses 7 through 10. Also, the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies and those who hate you, who persecuted you. And you will again obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments, which I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and the produce of your land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good, as he rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law, and if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, notice God's promises have no ifs. I'm going to do this. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. He never changes his mind. He doesn't have a takes back see. He's not an Indian giver. That was a fancy way of saying you trade it, and then you got to trade it back. It was just for just a, uh, a ruse. No, his promises are yes and amen. But where are the ifs with us, our decisions? If you follow the Lord, you will be blessed. If you obey the voice of the Lord, these things will take place. He will keep his end of the bargain. What else did he say? If you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart. If, if, if. How, how many ifs do we have? Because if we take those same things to us, we must choose every day if we're going to follow after him. If you obey the voice of the Lord in your life, what will come from it? If you obey the voice of the Lord, and if you turn to the Lord with all your heart, and if, and if, and if. I've said it before, and I'll, I'll say it a hundred times. What would my life be like if every time the Bible told me to do something, I just did it? No questions asked. Walk by faith. Love him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love my wife as Christ loved the church. Not provoke my children unto wrath especially my oldest son. If I just was obedient to work as unto the Lord at my job site, to do all things without murmuring and complaining. And you can just add to the list. If I was just obeying, man, how blessed would I be? But that word if is so powerful. Pastor Romaine, uh, Pastor Romaine he was the assistant pastor for Pastor Chuck Smith for decades. And he tells of this mystical, tree, this mystical creature that has robbed so many. It is called the Yabbat. The Yabbat will come in and he will rob you. He will destroy you. He will rip you off. He will take away all your promise, uh, everything that God has promised you. It is when God asks you to do something, there he comes. Yeah, but you should spend time with the Lord privately. Yeah, but I work so hard. 
you should love your wife as Christ loved the church. Yeah, but, you know, she should be a lot easier to love. You should go to church. Yeah, but that pastor will bore you to death. And that, yeah, but he just comes in and he, he just robs you. But that's the discussion here. The nation of Israel was given promises and all they had to do was obey. They're choosing between life and they're choosing death. They're choosing to be prospered or they're choosing to not. Now, I will say one other thing that's very fascinating about this text here. In verse 7, it says, Also the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecuted you. It is a dangerous thing, regardless of the state of Israel's, if they're following Jesus or not, if they're obedient to the word of God or not, if they're in rebellion or not, it is a dangerous thing to be an enemy of Israel. And history teaches us these things. You can follow the state of Israel, the people of Israel, follow them through their life, through the diaspora, all scattered across the world, just like the text said would happen. And you say, man, it is a terrible thing to be an enemy of Israel. Oh, here comes that yeah, but... Yeah, but what about World War II and the Holocaust? Did you see what happened to Germany? Did you see what happened to Germany's armies, to their young men, to the people of Germany when the Soviets invaded? Did you see what happened to them for the decades after? Absolute and complete destruction. You can look at Berlin. You can look at Munich. You can look at um, the cities that were firebombed that night, you can look at the millions, and that's not an exaggeration, millions and millions of German dead soldiers in every European country and North Africa. And you can look at the POWs that were taken. You can look at the million men that fought in the Battle of Stalingrad. Million. We can't even fathom these numbers. And you look at the destruction. Now, what hap- the Holocaust is the most or one of the most evil thing that's ever happened in humanity. And Satan inspired it to try and destroy the people of God. And yet out of that, the Lord brought the people back into the land in 1948, just as he promised. And we look at the enemies of Israel and we see that time and time again, they are miraculously destroyed. Whether it's in the wars of the 20th century, whether it is in the plagues of the medieval era and Renaissance era, we could just look at history and say, wow. I haven't met an Assyrian recently. I haven't met a Canaanite. All the people groups that God promised he was going to destroy and obliterate and not have their cities there anymore that threatened the nation of Israel and fought and warred against them, the Amorites and the Ammonites, the Philistines, they're gone. I've never met one. Incredible how accurate the Bible is with these things. But why is it that we can agree with the prophecy in the history But then when it comes to personal application and us choosing the Lord and choosing to follow after him, that yabbit just comes in. That word if, if you choose, if. Let it not be so. Let us love the Lord 
our God with all our heart and with all our soul. Knowing who God is, the promises that he's given us and the work that he's done and his mighty works and miracles in his people, in the nation of Israel and in the church and the followers of Jesus Christ, knowing what it has taken to get us the Bible in our own language next to us in a cell phone that has every commentary available at your fingertips, every radio station, every podcast, the best God-given, Holy Spirit-inspired teachers of every generation available to us. And we'd rather watch football. We'd rather watch a shopping network. We'd rather follow up with our favorite celebrities. Or we could love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul. If, if, verses 11 through 18, for this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you in the mouth and in your heart that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. And in that, I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. Hmm. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. That you may do it. You know, many times we hear the word of God and we agree, but we don't do it. We can debate the word of God. We can talk about its application, its theology, its philosophy. We can argue its semantics. But do you do it? I was watching a, a missionary and he was talking about the 1040 window, that those parallels where the majority of non-believers live in the billions, in India, in China, in Southeast Asia, in uh, Arabic countries, the majority of non-believers. And he asked this question, it was to a group of pastors. He said, how many of you have read the New Testament? And everybody's hand showed up. How many of you have been to church for six weeks or more? And everybody's hands were up. You are qualified to be pastors and missionaries in this region that is the level of education and training they're given on average all they have is faith they have the word of god they barely know it they barely been taught it there's no theology schools they are they're very little and out of reach there's no radio stations there's no churches with air conditioning in the small uh, villages of these regions and he says and faithful men and women go on bicycles and in their sandals and they go out into these areas where they're hostile to the gospel and they preach it he said the difference is they do it they do it and so the 
thing is true for us. What more do you need? The word is very near to you. He says here, it's not a far off. It's not in heaven that you can't attain it. You don't need a ship to go get it on the other end of the sea. He says it's on your mouth and it's in your heart. Oh, I hear him now in your brains. That yabbit is rearing its ugly head. You've been feeding that animal, the yabbit. You get used to it. Ah, yeah, but you don't understand. Maybe next year, maybe next time, when I get that raise, when I get that job, when I get to that place. All we have to do is hear the word of God and obey and do it without excuses. And isn't that what we did when we accepted salvation by faith? We said, Lord, I can't do anything. We said, Lord, by faith alone in you, I accept that you have bridged the gap between heaven and hell and made a way for this filthy sinner, sinner to not only enter into your gates, but to be welcomed as a son, as a daughter of Christ. By faith alone, not of works, Lord. I know that you've done it. And we went to bed that night in complete rest, the peace of God on us, knowing that he did it. And he says, I will go with you. I will fill you with the Holy Spirit. I will put my words on your heart. I will write them on your lips. I'll send you to the whole world and preach the gospel. And we're like, yeah, but probably not me. That's somebody else. We trust him for eternal salvation, but we don't trust him to do the work. We would rather murmur and complain about other people. We would rather judge everyone else by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. We'd rather nitpick and judge and criticize the ones that are actually doing it. And don't worry, that's just in your flesh. But the choice, as it was for the nation of Israel, is true for us. The same truth, the same choice. What is that choice? He says in verse 15, See, I have set before you today life and good. That's one choice. Or death and evil. That's the second choice. And it's up to you. Are you going to do it? Are you going to read and pray and be in fellowship? Are you going to die to yourself and lift up others? Or are you going to choose to sin and to use your liberty for vice and stumble your brethren and criticize and backbite? Are you going to stay home? Are you going to hear the word of God faithfully taught to you week after week after week after week and not do anything with it? Because one day you will be before the king and you will have to make an account for every Bible study, for every Bible version, for every podcast, for every pastor, preacher, teacher, evangelist, person filled with the Holy Spirit that put the word of God into you. And what did you do with it? Oh, Lord, I buried it in the dirt to protect it. Or did you invest it and share it with others? The choice was on Israel. Were they going to obey the word of God? Were they going to obey the Lord? Or were they going to disobey and choose death and destruction and evil? And the answer is they chose both. They chose both. But how did this chapter start? God told them they were going to do it. God told them they were going to be scattered. God told them that he was still going to bless them. He's never going to leave them or forsaken. He's still going to bring them into the promised land. He was still going to be with them no matter what. And the same truth is on us as people of God. That Jesus says, regardless of what we do with this call, he will not fail on his end of the bargain, which is free, 
unmerited, unearned grace. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That he will never leave us, forsake us. That all things will work together for the good. The choice, the choice is yours. What will I do with this message? I, uh, I kind of go into imaginary land when I hear this and I read this. And I think of Moses there looking at the promised land over the Jordan. He can't go there. Although I told you that Jesus sneaks him in, right? The Mount of Transfiguration, where is that? On the other side of the Jordan. Is it possible that Moses was one of the two prophets in the book of Revelation? Maybe, which is in Jerusalem. I don't know, maybe. I personally believe it's Moses and Elijah, but we can debate that after the sermon. But he's telling this. The Holy Spirit has spoken to him. He's received this word from God, and he's literally looking at the people of Israel, and these words are coming out of his mouth as he's saying, the word of God is in your mouths and in your hearts. It is near. And I think, man, what would that be like? What did that feel like? What did that sound like? Amazing. Well, let's read these last few verses in this chapter, verses 19 through 20. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. So the choice is yours. Will the Yabbat be victorious once again? When you come to the next if, will you cling to the Lord, as it's written here? And trust in him? Or will you cling to yourself, your old ways, your old habits? For us as New Testament believers, the choice is to choose Jesus or the world. He said, do not love the world. Do not love the things in it. He says that we are called out of this world. That we are to be a living sacrifice, which is our reasonable service. We're to choose grace, not law, grace. You have liberty in Christ, but we will not be brought under the power of any because he purchased us that freedom. We choose life. We choose life. Jesus said, I come that you may live life more abundantly, more life, not less life. And we choose hope, knowing that we will fail, that things will go wrong, that we will suffer, that things will be difficult, but our hope is not in this world. It is in the next. Because all the promises of God are yes and amen. And just as he promised to bring them over to the Jordan and to establish them in the promised land, just as he promised that they would be scattered, but that he would bring them back, and those things happened, he told us that in the moment, a twinkling of an eye, he will bring his church home. He told us that when we close our eyes for the last time, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we trust those promises the same way that we read the history then. And we see those future promises. We choose hope. Or you can choose the world. You can choose destruction. You can choose the former things. You can choose your flesh. You can choose to glorify yourself. All of those things lead to destruction. 
That's the choice we have this evening. Well, we're going to spend the rest of this hour in prayer together. Pray loud enough that we can all pray together and agree one at a time as we intercede for uh, those that are in harm's way in Florida, for our missionaries, for those that are in authority, for the peace of Jerusalem. The Bible tells us that the fervent prayers of a righteous man or woman avails much. Lord, we thank you so much for your promises, and we do pray that you would fill us with your spirit this evening, that you would continue to teach us and direct us, that your word would be taught well and empower, empowered by you, and that it would be written on the tablets of our heart, Lord, and that we would go out into all the world and share it with our brothers, our sisters, our neighbors, our enemies, Lord. Let your will be done as you lead us in prayer this evening in Jesus' name.